Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's go to Genesis 22. And uh, we've been looking for a number of weeks at this uh, subject of a covenant of blood. And uh, we want to continue that with the emphasis on the importance of the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. And we've went over these things uh, repeatedly. I have to always remember, number one, that I have a covenant. I have a covenant. And, and that is so vital, especially in light of all that we've learned over these weeks. Uh, that settles the issue. That closes the book. I have a covenant. And so that settles the issue. Uh, number two, the Bible is a covenant book sealed with blood on both ends. It's a covenant book sealed with blood on both ends. This is so important because uh, uh, God does not break covenant. All right, the Bible, the Bible makes that very plain. He said in the book of Psalm 89, he said, My covenant I will not break or alter, or change, or modify the thing that's gone out of my lips. God does not, God does not speak, uh, oh, the phrase I'm looking for is situation, you know, situational ethics. God does not speak something different in different circumstances. Amen. There's many in here, we've, we found this out over the last couple of years, that the Lord is our healer regardless of what's going on in the world. God's not moved by that. He, so he didn't change his mind. He didn't change what he said. Is that right? And so the Bible is a covenant book. It, John 17 says it's truth. Well, you can't, truth cannot be changed. You have to abandon truth. You can't change it. You can't change truth. Hallelujah. Ever, ever, what, ever what the truth may be, you can't change that. You have to abandon it. You have to forsake it. The truth doesn't change. Amen. And David said in the book of Psalm 119, he said, uh, I consider all your precepts concerning all things to be right. In John 17, Jesus praying to the Father, he said, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. And that word truth in John 17, it means the truth about any situation under investigation. Whatever the circumstance is, this is truth. This is what you return to. That's what Paul said consistently when they would argue with him about God uh, uh, bringing the Gentiles into the covenant and the Jewish believers would get upset about it. Paul would make this statement, what's the scripture say? What saith the scripture? When they were uh, 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 giving Jesus a hard time because of all things, his disciples had plucked some heads of grain and were eating it. And Jesus said, here's where you err, you don't know the scriptures. See, if you don't know the scripture, you don't have truth. 
And if you don't have truth, everything is at risk. The truth is what keeps you solid. The covenant is what keeps you founded. Amen. Glory to God. Do you see that? What we have today in our society is an absence of truth. We have a lot of opinion, but we don't have truth. We have a lot of people catering to people's ideas, but not truth. Are you following me? And, and as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm not adhering to truth, I have no success. Because truth brings success. The people with the best life are the people whose lives are founded on the truth. Because, because understand something, and, and Lord, I'll say that. It's, I've known people over the years, they would say, if I could just do this, or if I could just have this, or if this would just change, everything would be okay. And they would get that or get this, and that thing would change, and nothing was okay. Because it's not that changing or this changing or getting something that makes everything okay. It's knowing what the truth says that makes everything okay. I know everything's going to be okay because the Bible says the afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. That's what I know. I know everything's going to be okay because David said, I was young and now I'm old. And here's what I've learned between the time I was young and old is I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed having to beg bread. Hallelujah. See, you're the righteous. You're not worried about yourself and you're not worried about the, your children or your grandchildren because the Bible said that you have never been forsaken. The righteous has never been forsaken. Your children will not be forsaken. That's what the word says. See, that's truth. That's covenant. That closes the book. That's it settles it. Amen. I say it settles it. But I'll hear people, I'll hear well-meaning people, oh, this is not the nation I grew up in. Well, no, it's not. Of course, no, it's not. Amen. It's not the nation I grew up in. I'm younger than some of y'all, older than some of y'all. But here's the thing, it's not the nation I grew up in. That's the, but it, just because it's not does not change the reality of the truth. This is still the book that saved me. This is still the truth that set me free. And it's truth in any matter under consideration. Oh, glory to God. And then finally, a covenant mindset's a requirement for strong faith. I have to have a covenant mindset. That's a requirement for strong faith. Hallelujah. So Genesis 22 and verse 16. This is when Abraham had taken Isaac to Mount Moriah. And the angel of the Lord, the, it, the, the proper rendering of that is the angel of the covenant. Most scholars believe that it was the Lord Jesus. I have no problem with that. I don't have any reason to dispute it. But I do know in the Hebrew it means the angel of the covenant. And it says he called to Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have not, you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, notice, your only son. 
bless and I'll bless you, multiply and I'll multiply your seeds, the stars of heaven, the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed, Jesus, will possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed will all nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And so notice it's, it's very important that we see that God here in Genesis makes the statement, you've not withheld your only son. And Hebrews 11 says Abraham offered his only begotten son. That's important. Because Abraham in God's mind only had one son, Isaac. And he offered his only begotten son. God needed Abraham's only son because the nations would need his only son. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he put himself in a deficit to him. You understand what I mean by that? He had made a promise that there's no way out of. And ever how long it takes... I've got to fulfill this. And the gift given here that settled the issue was the only son of Abraham. Now, follow me here because I want you to see this. But how many know that right now, that's not Abraham's only son? The Bible says if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's children. Right? So they're, 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 he's the father of our faith. Now, at this point in time, let's go over to uh, Hebrews 11. At this point in time, when he offered Isaac, and as we said, his only begotten son, this was not a ceremony, not in Abraham's mind. It wasn't a ceremonial issue. He wasn't going and going to act like he was doing something. It was settled. Amen. Notice here, Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19. Actually, verse 17, excuse me. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now, notice something. It doesn't say he acted like it or he went through the motions. It says he did it. Is that right? And he that had received the promises, Abraham, offered up his only begotten son. The Amplified Bible says, For he reasoned that God was able to raise him up from among the dead, indeed in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed, he did actually receive him back from the dead. So when the King James says he offered him, it's correct because in Abraham's mind and his thinking, it's done. I've done it. The only thing that there was left to do was slay his son. That's all that was left to do. When he was marching up that mountain, he was not trying to figure out a way out of it. He was not trying to figure out a way not to do it. Hopefully, God will come through. Well, he said that, that God would provide himself a sacrifice. Yes, he did. But that did not change what he intended to do. As far as he was concerned, it was over. Amen. Glory to God. 
Because God needed his son. And he needed his son because the nations would need God's son. And so when we say God put himself in a deficit, God put himself in a position of having to keep his word to Abraham. Abraham was willing to go as far as to give his only son, and the Bible says that God then was willing to go as far as to, at that time, give his only son. Oh, glory to God. Now notice Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. It says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Three times in Genesis 17, the Bible calls the covenant God made with Abraham the everlasting covenant. Everlasting. And he says that the instrumentality, the means of the resurrection of Christ was the blood of this covenant. So it was the means, but then what did the resurrection accomplish? What did it, what did it accomplish? The resurrection of Christ is the foundation stone of Christianity. It's, it's the crowning proof that the ransom paid for sinners was accepted. Hallelujah. Let's look at Matthew 28. We'll get into this. Matthew 28. And uh, of course, the first part of this chapter talks about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary coming to the, the tomb, the sepulcher, and there was a great earthquake. Verse 2, the angel had come from heaven and rolled the stone from the door. And, and you realize that was not while they were there. That had happened before, right? Notice there, there, there was a great earthquake or there had been a great earthquake. And uh, it says in verse uh, 5, the angel answered and said to the women, fear not. For I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. And then as they were departing, verse 8, they were running with joy to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. So notice, he is not here. He is risen as he said. As he said. In John 20. John records this in verse 15. The same Mary, Mary Magdalene at the tomb, Jesus said to her, woman, why do you weep? Who do you seek? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've borne him hence, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. 
she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. So notice he said, I have not yet ascended. Ephesians 4.10 says, He that descended had to ascend far above to fulfill all things. Hallelujah. So his blood had to be placed on the altar. He's telling Mary, he says, don't hold on to me because I have to ascend to the heavenly holies of holies and I have to place my blood there on the altar. He descended into the place of the dead and now he's ascending. Amen. Christianity is the only religion that bases its claim to acceptance on the resurrection of its founder. The only one. For any other religion to base its claim on such a doctrine would mean failure. Test any other religion by that claim and see. If you, if you test any other belief system by the claim that the founder rose from the dead, it fails. And, and it's not just a biblically proven fact, although that's the most important thing. It's a historically proven fact. It's historically proven that Jesus rose from the dead. He, he rose from the grave. Now, the reason this is so important is this is the foundation stone. Paul said this, and we'll read it. Paul said this, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is futile. It means nothing. Everything you believe is erroneous and wrong if Christ has not raised from the dead. That's a strong statement, hallelujah, because we believe what the Word says. Glory to God. The Jewish historian Josephus years ago, and he was a Jew that did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. But in his writings, the Antiquities of Josephus, he had to make this statement. He said, there was a man called Jesus of Nazareth. And then he said this, if he could rightly be called a man. Because he did many miracles and signs and wonders of power. And it said this same man, Pilate crucified, killed, and buried. But this man rose again on the third day. That's history. It's historically proven that Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, glory. Now, why is this so important? Number one, the importance of the resurrection. It is fundamental to Christianity. That word fundamental, it means forming a base or a core. It's of central importance. In 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, how that He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So notice what Paul says. He says, this is what I delivered unto you, and this is what I was taught first. Well, who taught him that? The Lord Jesus taught him this. And he says, the first thing that I was taught was that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, and he rose again. 
And then he said, this is the first thing I've taught you, is that Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again. Hallelujah. The death and the burial of Christ is placed in what's referred to as the aorist sense, or the past tense. The death and the burial. That happened. That occurred. The resurrection is placed in the perfect tense, or the present tense, because it has an abiding power. He died, he was buried, but he rose again, and he's alive presently with power. Glory to God. The resurrection is an abiding power. And it's so important that Paul says, this is the first thing I learned and the first thing I've taught. Now, right there in in chapter 15, notice verse 12. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. That's a strong statement. He says, if Christ isn't raised, our preaching's vain and your faith is vain. So the resurrection wasn't an add-on to Paul's gospel. It wasn't something that he just threw in there. It's what establishes, it's what gives existence to the gospel is the resurrection of Christ. Remove the resurrection from the Paul's gospel and the message is gone. If you take it away, it's not there. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We see something. Acts 2 verse 22. Peter is ministering and he says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, signs that God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain, whom God raised up and loosed the pains of death Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He raised him up and loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden or held by death. Why was it not possible? Because God had a covenant with Abraham. And he said, you give me your only son. And although Abraham didn't realize it, down the road God would give his only son. But if his only son just, see, if Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac and he would have buried him, that would have not done anything. He had to, in his mind, go through with the offering. And then he had to be raised from the dead for the covenant to be in place. Jesus had to come to the earth. He had to die. He had to be buried And he had to be raised from the dead in order for the covenant to be intact. And all nations to be blessed. And the Bible says here, it was impossible for death to hold on to him. See, 
Jesus knew something in Matthew chapter 16 when he said this. He said, upon my rock, I, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the powers of death will not be able to prevail against it. See, you have to understand something. That same spirit that was in Christ that made it impossible for death to hold on to him is in you and it makes it impossible for the gates of hell to prevail against you. That's not just a Bible saying. That's not just something we say. If the same spirit, Paul said, dwells in you that dwelt in Christ, not only did it raise him from the dead, it will quicken your mortal bodies. Glory be to God. It's impossible for death to hold on to him. Not because he was Jesus, but because he was a man with a covenant that God had made a promise to. Glory be to God. Amen. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Now notice something. Belief in the resurrection was the faith of the early church. By him. Notice, in both of these messages, Peter said, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Now, why is that so important? How does that affect your faith? If Jesus can be put on a cross and crucified and killed and put in a tomb and stay there for three days and God raised him from the dead, then you put whatever you're facing up next to that scenario and then try to explain how impossible what you're facing is. It's not impossible. I don't care what you need. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, there's nothing God can't do. And if there's nothing God can't do, then there's nothing in your life that's beyond His ability to fix. Glory to God. Amen. Do, do you see that? Glory to Jesus. Acts chapter 3 verse 14. He's talking to the people of his day. And Peter is preaching and he says, You denied the Holy One and the just and, and desired a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince or the author of life, notice, whom God raised from the dead. Whereof? We are witnesses. So because of the determination of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to have Jesus crucified, notice this, they became guilty of killing the author of life, the prince of life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The originator of life. That speaks of the part that Jesus had in creation. In the book of John chapter 1, it says, All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was the author of life. He was the living word that spoke the worlds into existence. And through him, God breathed life into the first man. God, through Jesus, breathed life into the first man, Adam. And that man became a living soul. Hallelujah. And they had killed Jesus, the very source of physical and spiritual life. But notice something. God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. The results of the resurrection. What were the results of the resurrection? First of all, as to Jesus himself. Let's look at Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. So the importance of the resurrection is it is fundamental to what we believe. Romans 1 and verse 3. It says concerning the Father, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared or determined to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, notice this, by the resurrection from the dead. By the resurrection. So Jesus was declared or determined to be the Son of God. That word declared, it means to be marked off by boundaries. Right? He fell within the boundary of the Son of God. And notice, by the resurrection. See, Jesus in his ministry would at times say he was the Son of God. He said he was the Son of Man more than anything. But he would say, when they pressed him, he would say, they, they asked him, they said, are you the son of God? He said at his, at, his, at his trial, he said, I am. And one day you'll see me coming. Right? Because, you know, at, at, at that point, it's getting right down to the end. And you got to figure this out. I'm the one. Glory to God. But notice. Through his ministry, he would say at times, I'm the son of God. But the resurrection, without question, declared him to be who he was. It declared him to be the son of God by the resurrection. Had Jesus remained in the grave as other men had done, there would be no reason to place faith in him. Glory to God. The empty tomb testifies to the deity of Christ. Our Savior is the Savior because He rose from the dead by the resurrection. He was declared the Son of God by the resurrection. Glory to God. Amen. So the result of the resurrection as to Jesus Himself is it testifies that He is the Son of God. Amen. As to the believer, the result of the resurrection as to the believer, it assures them of their acceptance with God. Romans chapter 4 and verse 24. And this is, of course, speaking of Abraham. Romans 4 is talking about Abraham's testimony. And it's talking about righteousness. In verse 24, it says, But for us also, to whom it, righteousness, will be imputed if we believe on him, 
that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Notice, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The Son of God, Jesus, was delivered. He was surrendered. He was yielded up for our offenses. God God didn't spare His own Son. He delivered Him up. Now, now you got to look back because Abraham did not spare his son. And God had a covenant with Abraham. See, that's the importance of that covenant. Because the nations needed God's son to save them from their sin. To save them from their failings. To save them. You could not justify yourself. You could not, you could not make yourself credible. Hallelujah. And when Abraham gave his son, it opened the way for God to give his son. But his son was going to do something. His son was going to justify you and I in the eyes of God. God did not spare his own son. Nothing less than the death of Jesus on that cursed tree would do. That was it. Hallelujah. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ... We went through the, 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 the system of law, and, and you know about the blood of bulls and goats, and the Bible says that it was not able to make the comers thereunto continually clean, but there was a remembrance of sin made every year in those sacrifices. Every time a sacrifice was brought, the remembrance of sin was created. I sinned, I failed, I missed the mark. But the Bible says that this man Jesus, having entered into the heavens, holy of holies one time put his blood on the altar and obtained eternal redemption for you and I glory to God justified is not what we think at times that you know like someone's justifying themselves making excuses for what they did no the Bible when it uses this term when it uses the term justified it, it says, he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. That's not justifying us as we did something wrong and somehow God's justifying his saving us. It means that we have been made just with God. Just what? Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if it had never occurred. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that, that, that Jesus did something on the cross of Calvary. It says there was an ordinance that was against you. That ordinance was your past. That ordinance was the sin. That ordinance was the law that pointed, pointed you and made you a sinner that, that showed you how sinful you was. And the Bible says that Jesus took it out of the way. That's what stood between you and God. That's what stood between you and the Father was that ordinance that was against you. And the Bible says Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, why is this so important? Because when you died on the cross of crucifixion, and the Bible says you did. It said you died with Christ. Well, Christ did not die any other way than the crucifixion. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Glory to God. When they crucified a victim, and you know this, but, but hear this. When they crucified a victim, they nailed his trespass on the cross with him. When Jesus was on the cross, 
they nailed his, his accusation. King of the Jews. Right? Are you following me? So to Rome, that's why he died. Because his crime was calling himself the king of the Jews. Remember the Jewish leaders came and said, no, 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 say he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. But that was his crime. You were crucified with him. And your crime was nailed on the cross with him. Do do you see this? And the Bible says that Jesus took it out of the way. And it says it was blotted out. Uh, The word blotted out, it doesn't mean to erase. It doesn't mean to cross out. It means to disappear. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, everything you were just disappeared. It never existed. It never existed. You have been innocent for over 2,000 years because of the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He made me just and righteous in his eyes. Because everything I was, he became. So I could be everything he is. He took my sin upon the cross. But he not only took it, he became it. He became sin for me. And everything I was, big, little, long list, short list, it was nailed on that cross. And I was literally crucified with Christ. And because I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with Christ. And because I was buried with Christ, I rose with Christ. And I'm a new creature in Christ. Jesus, when, when he was raised from the dead, now hear me when I say this. Jesus never sinned. Let me be clear. Jesus never sinned. You, you hear me saying that? Jesus did not have to be saved because he never sinned. But Jesus went through the same process that we had to go through. And when he rose from the dead, He was raised a new creature. He was not the same Jesus that went into the grave. He rose glorified. Oh, follow me now. The Bible says that when you got born again, that you were glorified, justified, made righteous in his sight. Do do, do you see this? When Jesus rose from the grave, he was a new creature. A species of being the world had never seen before. A glorified flesh and bone man on the earth in right standing with God. You are a species of being that the world has never seen before. When you were born again, it is a a symbolism that you went into the grave with Christ. You were raised from the dead with Christ. And you are a species of being the world has never seen before. That's the, that's the importance of the resurrection. Oh, hallelujah. I'm just with God. Mm. It was because of my offense that he was offered willingly 
You, you, see, if you can grasp that, it was willing. If, if you have the idea that Abraham was somehow hesitant and somehow crying and overwhelmed because of what God would ask him to do, you don't understand how God did this willingly. Abraham did it willingly, so God did it willingly. I've heard people say God wept. No, he didn't. No, he did not. He did not weep at the cross. The cross is not a place of sorrow. The cross is a place of joy. Oh, my Lord, now don't get quiet on me. Well, he had to turn his face. What was chapter and verse for that? I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not being ugly. I'm just, where's the chapter and verse for that? Well, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he didn't say you've turned your face from me. All I'm trying to say is this was the plan of God. This was there from eternity past. The Trinity came into a covenant. They came into an agreement that I'm going to send you and you're going to go and the Holy Spirit's going to raise you from the dead on the third day. Read Psalm 22. There was no doubt in Jesus' mind that God was going to raise him from the dead. He taught it over and over again in his ministry. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to bury me. And on the third day, I'm coming up out of the ground. Why? Because that's what the, pro- the father had promised him. God asked Abraham to give him his son. It was a three-day journey to the mountain of Moriah. Three days. Jesus was in the belly of the earth three days. By the time Abraham... Abraham got to that mountain. It was the end of that third day. He had already made up his mind that he was going to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord called out of heaven and said, don't touch him. I know that you'll do it now. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Ah, Several thousand years later, his same son, that son of God, marched up that same mountain that Abraham marched up on. Gave his life on the cross of Calvary. Was buried. But on the third day, Abraham's covenant partner raised him from the dead. My Lord, it's Sunday morning and I feel like shouting. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, folks, you say something down inside of me telling me, go ahead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He surrendered him. He yielded him up. He didn't think twice about it. It never crossed God's mind. This is my only son. God knew what he was going to do. Glory to God. Had you on his mind. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he had you on his mind. When God sent Jesus, he had you on his mind. It was essential. Calvary was essential because of a righteous God and His law. You have to understand, God has a perfect righteousness. He has a perfect holiness. God has a perfect standard. Do do you hear me? Hallelujah. And under the the, the first covenant, under the Old Testament, That perfect standard and that perfect law was given to imperfect people. 
And God knew it was impossible for them to keep it. That's why he said every year you can come and receive atonement. Covering for your sins. But the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew. He also said it in Mark. He said in the upper room. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant. Shed for the remission, the remittance of sin. Shed for the price, the full payment of all sin, of every man and woman for all time. It's an eternal sacrifice that eternally and forever eradicated and defeated sin in the lives of those that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you ask Jesus into your life, you are immediately made a new creature. Your past is gone, not just removed, gone. It never existed. You never existed before Christ in the eyes of God and you were made perfectly holy and righteous in his sight glory to God nothing but the death of Christ would meet the need of sinful people it had to be him it had to be his only son this man came into the earth and perfectly kept the perfect law and the perfect standard Now hear me, very often I hear people say, so we wouldn't have to, hear me, so we would be able to. If your mindset is he did it, so I don't have to, he did it so I could. He came and perfectly pleased the Father so I could please the Father. Did you see what I'm saying? What does Romans 6 say? Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. Grace was the better way. Hallelujah. Grace does not mean I have an idea or a mindset that I can go do ever how I want and, and God's okay with it and He'll show me His grace. Grace is God's power And God's ability to live above sin and above temptation. When God gave you grace, he gave you a much more effective and powerful weapon than the law. He said when Christ died, you came under grace and not under law. So important. I say it's so important. Say it out loud. Sin does not have dominion over me. Now you settle that. And I'll hear well-meaning preachers get up in the pulpit. Well, you can't help but sin. And you better take that verse out of the Bible. I can help it. It doesn't mean that, that, that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I haven't sinned. It doesn't mean I don't sin or won't sin. But Because all of us can miss it. But it means this. If I fall and I succumb to sin, I had power over it. I didn't have to do it. I'll move on from that because I'm, I'm just, folks, as your pastor, I'm telling you, I'm just going to say this out of my heart. I, I am so done with hearing preachers and other people make excuses for mistakes and failures in their life. Like, you know, hey, we're all flawed individuals. Jesus came to remove the flaws. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean that ugly. Everybody can miss it. But if that's your mindset where we're all flawed individuals and there's nothing we can do about it and you know all of... Listen, 
That's a train wreck waiting to happen. Amen. Well, you know, I did that, but people just don't understand. You know, I'm Italian. And, you know, I didn't think that, that, that you know, hugging people inappropriately would be taken wrong because, you know, after all, I'm Italian. Well, like that matters. I'm not talking about a politician. I'm talking about preachers. If what we preach in the pulpit is not working, for us, how can it be working for the people? There's just a standard that you've got to set yourselves to concerning your life because of what Jesus did. If it cost him that much, I'm going to allow my life to portray the cost that he paid. Amen. Hmm. The resurrection is the proof that God sees us as righteous in his eyes. The Bible says Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. That means to show or regard as just, as innocent, and as free. His resurrection was the validation of the sacrifice of his death. And our place of acceptance is in the risen Christ. That's why Paul said, I want to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of the faith of him. Oh, hallelujah. The act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. That's justification. The ungodly who believe in the Lord Jesus are declared righteous and given a new standing in the risen Christ. All the promises that we have about our new creaturehood, about our righteousness, about our justification, they all center around the empty tomb. They all center around the empty tomb. The resurrection is the demonstration of our acceptance in Him. By Him, I'm made righteousness. I'm made righteous. And I'm acquitted of the claims of justice. Justice have no claim on me because it laid claim on Jesus. If you can grasp that, your days of guilt and shame and condemnation are done. You'll hear people say, well, you know, I just feel guilty. Why? You're not. Be careful with those words. Well, I'm just so ashamed. Of what? Well, you know what I did. No, I don't. I don't. Did you do it? Well, you know I did. Well, what does God say? What does God say? I mean, literally, what does God say? He says you didn't. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. You can't lay anything to my charge. God justified me. God declared me free from guilt and acceptable to him. God declared me acceptable to him. God declared me free from guilt. Not just free from guilt like he slammed the gavel down and said, okay, I find you innocent. No, he found me innocent and free from guilt because the man that stands before him never did the charge. I never existed before I received Christ. Hmm. The ungodly are declared righteous. Number three, the resurrection 
assures us of an interceding high priest. Romans 8, verse 33. I pray I'm helping you today. The verse we just quoted. Let's start in verse uh, 31. What shall we say then say to these things? Mm. If God be for us, who can be against us? I like that phrase in the Greek because it's a phrase that like Paul is holding up a list of charges. And it's different people that are laying charges against a person. And he says this statement. In the Greek, it's this emphaticness. He says, if God be for us, who? That It ends there in the Greek. Who? Name them. In other words, he's saying, name them. If God's for you, who could possibly be against you? You see that? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's another powerful statement. Because God elected you. This wasn't happenstance. God chose you on purpose. But here's the thing. He chose everybody in the world. Everybody in the world hadn't chosen him. I am God's elect. God elected me to be his son. Oh, hallelujah. It's God that justifies. It's God that made me not guilty. So notice, put these things together. You can't lay a charge to me because God declared me not guilty. If you can learn that, your days of victory are upon you. And your days of guilt and defeat are done. You can't lay anything to my charge. God justified me. God declared me innocent. Amen. You know, I, this became so clear to me. When Pastor Michelle, when she first got saved, and uh, she, uh, maybe about a year, maybe less, eight months, and, uh, you know, you, you've read her story, and, and uh, you can read it again in, in a few months. She's got a new book coming out about it. But the point is, is she had to go to court and get everything back. If you've ever met anybody that lost anything, it was her. She lost her children. She lost her income. She lost her license. Everything. Gone. Gone. And she had to go back to court and get it all. Had, had, had to go back and get it all back. And when they went to the court that day, my mother went with her. My mother was the only one that went with her. And they went to court. And they walked in, and there were witnesses against her lining the halls. Standing up against the wall, waiting for their turn. Amen. And here went her and my mother. You know, you know my mom, five foot nothing. And here they went. But she'll pick up a broom and hit you. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. They got into court, and here's the, the, the uh, attorney for the other side, and he stands up and he says, Your Honor, we have all these witnesses pointed over the side and in the hallway that are prepared to testify against her. She shouldn't get her kids back, all these things. And the, the judge, very candidly, he said, Okay, I hear you. The only one person I want to hear from in here is the person that, that, that held uh, the standards 
that she was supposed to adhere to. And he called this person up, and he said, has she passed every drug test? Yes, sir. Has she paid her fines? Yes, sir. Has she done this? Yes, sir. And he looked at the other side and said, I don't need to hear anything from you. Give her her kids back. That was it. Ten minutes. It's all taken care of. Boy, that, that reverberated in my spirit. There was a hallway full of people that were ready to say why she can't have what belongs to her. And the judge said, I don't need to hear anything from you. Did they do what needed to be done? Yes, they did. Give it all back to them. When the, <laughs> the only thing the father looks at is, did you receive Jesus? Did you make him your Lord? Did you confess him in your life? That's all he needs to hear. Give it all back to him. Give it all back to him. When we say everything Adam lost, we got back, we really mean everything Adam lost by transgression, we got back by Jesus Christ. Glory be to God. So there's no ground for condemnation. Condemnation isn't a judging sense of guiltiness. There's no ground for that. Nobody has a right to make you feel guilty. The same Christ who died for us is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Think about that. The same Christ that loved you so much that he came and lived a sinless life knowing what you were, knowing what you were going to do, and he died for you and not just for you, in your place as you, willingly, And now he, that same Christ, that loves you that much, is interceding for you at the right hand of God the Father. I'd say win-win. As Lily says, winner-winner, chicken dinner. Amen. (laughs) Glory to God. Making intercession, Jesus is our advocate, our go-between. You have a go-between. Now think about this though. He's an advocate between the sinner and the father. The father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The only begotten son that loved the world so much he was willing to do it. You've got two individuals that love you that much. How can you lose? Because of the resurrection. Our future glory as believers is guaranteed by the perfect defeat of our enemy and the perfect intercession of our advocate. Christ died. Christ rose. He ascended. He intercedes for all of us. Number four, it assures us of our own resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.14, the Apostle Paul talks here about the resurrection from the dead for the believer. And notice he says here, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus will raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. Should we as believers die before the rapture of the church, death holds no terror for us. None. No sting. No pain. No sharpness. All the way through the Pauline epistles, death is called sleep. Jesus called it sleep. It's the least intimidating thing you'll ever face in your life. 
Brother Hagin used to say this. He said, not only do many Christians not know how to live well, they don't know how to die well. Death is sleep. If you look at death as loss, you're looking at the wrong thing. And if you look at death as loss, you give death an upper hand in your life. Because you're saying death can take something from you. Death can take nothing from me. The victory's already been won. The only thing that death can take from someone is their life. And death cannot take my life because I'm eternally alive in Christ. I just go to sleep. Oh, hallelujah. Paul says that the resurrection of Christ guarantees the resurrection of the believer. The same God who raised his firstborn son, Jesus, from the dead will raise all of his children one day. Number five, this will be my last point. The resurrection assures the world of a judgment day. It assures the world of a judgment day. Notice in Acts chapter 17 and verse 20. Or, excuse me, verse 30. It says, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Uh, in, in other words, under the law, God winked at their ignorance. But now through the sacrifice of Jesus, notice what it says. He commands all men everywhere to repent, to change their minds, to do an about face. Why? Because, he, now, now notice the punctuation. I know it's not anointed, but it's important. He commands all men everywhere to repent, colon, because is the next word. Here's why he commands all men everywhere to repent. He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Notice, who by? By that man whom he hath ordained, whereby he hath given assurance or offered faith unto all men. He's offered faith unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. He's offered faith to everybody, and the proof is Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. One translation says he has a fixed, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world righteously, justly, by a man who he is destined and appointed for that task. And he's made this credible and given conviction and assurance and evidence to everyone by raising him from the dead. So for the, for the sinner, repentance is imperative. It's imperative. Because God has appointed a day in which he will judge the earth in righteousness. There's a reason salvation is a free gift. There's no excuse for not receiving it. It costs you nothing. When a man or a woman stands before God, they will not stand before God. We stand before God as believers, as righteous in His sight. And we're, we're judged and given reward according to our works, according to what we did for Christ. The sinner stands before God and is judged according to what he did with Jesus. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, notice, that he's appointed that day by a man that he's designated as judge. Notice this in John 5. John chapter 5. 
This is so vital. John 5 and 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 27. And has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. The day is coming. And there's no escape from it. There's no escape. God guaranteed this to everybody by the fact that he raised up Jesus from among the dead. If you believe, if you're in the sound of my voice or watching online, and maybe you're not where you need to be with God, maybe you're not saved, but you believe Jesus raised him from the dead. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then according to Scripture, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, you must of necessity believe that because of that, God will one day, Jesus will one day judge those that do not receive him into, his, into their life. You have to, if you believe he raised from the dead, you have to believe every statement about him. It's imperative. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proves that he was God, proves that his teachings were true and are true, and proves that he will be the judge and will judge in righteousness. All of God's judgments are righteous. All the way through the book of Revelation, you see this over and over again as the judgment of God is being poured out on a, on a sinful and wicked world at that time. The church has been raptured away. And the Bible says this. It says that the angels in heaven would begin to declare about his judgments. It said, holy are you, Lord. True and righteous are your judgments. In righteousness you judge. It's very simple. It means his judgments are right. I've had people over the years, I've had people say to me in various settings, well, how is it fair that, you know, God will judge a person that believes a different way, doesn't believe that Jesus is the way? How is it fair that God would send that person to hell when they were a good person? Number one, out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, he said, there's none good but God. If you don't have Jesus in your life, there's nothing good about us. I know that's hard for us to think sometimes. Well, I'm a good person. Well, you might be morally stable or morally right as far as you know, but goodness only comes from God. He said there's none good but God. Secondly, God is not fair as we describe fairness. God is just. God works on the basis of justice. If I receive Jesus Christ, the claims of justice are alleviated for me. If I don't receive Jesus, justice still has a claim on me. I can't do anything about that. The price has to be paid. And if I don't receive the one that paid the price, then I am saying this, in essence, I'm qualified to pay the price for myself. And the one who qualified is the one that will judge that person. So important. At some point in our lives, Every one of us come face to face with our eternal immortality. Our eternal, excuse me, eternal mortality. But here's the thing. Every person under the sound of my voice, every person watching online, you will spend eternity somewhere. And you'll spend eternity in the joy that awaits 
those that have received Jesus, or you'll receive, you'll spend eternity in torment and pain for those that reject him. Eternity is not like we say, it's just, that's, this is taking forever. Forever is age upon age. It's the Greek word aeon. It's age upon age upon age upon age upon age upon age upon never-ending age. It never stops. My friend, sir, ma'am, there is no purgatory. There's no, there's no uh, 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 shortened punishment depending upon what sin you committed. Was it bad or was it small? The Bible says every one of us had sinned. The Bible says every person on this people planet has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There was only one man that never sinned and never fell short of the glory of God. And that was the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, that came into the earth and died and was buried and rose again so he could justify you. As I'm closing... Whatever reason you came to church today, whatever reason you're watching online, your life matters to God. And whatever you're going to do with your life, maybe you are young and you plan to go to school and you plan to get a degree and you plan to do things. Here's my question. What then? Well, you know, Pastor, I'm going to get a job, and I'm, I'm going to make money, and I'm, I'm going to make my mark in the world. What then? You know, I guess I'll get married. I'll raise a family. I, you know, I'll, I'll, what then? I guess I'll have kids and eventually grandkids, and one day I'll retire, and, and I'll sit on the back porch, and I'll, I'll enjoy my, what then? Well, Pastor, if I'm honest, I guess I'll die. What then? Because if this is true, and it is, the moment your eyes close in death, you stand before the righteous judge. And the question will not be, did you go to church? Did you read the Bible? It will be, what did you do? with the man Jesus Christ. Your answer to that question right now determines where you're going to spend eternity. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white, male, female, young, old, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist. There's one way, one door, one entryway, and that's Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, we're so honored to have been in your presence. We thank you for the manifestation of your sweet personality. If you're here today, you're watching online, perhaps you're in that state. You say, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you're backslid, you're cold in your walk with God. Your intensity level for the things of God are not where they ought to be. Whatever the situation may be, God did not bring you here by happenstance, coincidence, you're not here by mistake. You're here because God wanted you to be here. If that's you on any score, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with God. I'm cold in my walk with God or I'm just not born again. Online, here in the room, nobody watching, nobody looking at you. This is between you and God. Everything that you do with God is between you and Him. 
the decision you make is between him and you. The person sitting next to you is not going to stand with you at judgment. The person sitting in front of you is not going to stand with you. It will be between you and God. And the God that loved you so much that he gave Jesus Christ to deliver you and set you free is the one that will make the decision. If that's you on any one of those scores, nobody's looking, nobody's watching, your eyes are closed. If that's you, raise your hand today and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I need this. I need to make the change in my life. I need to make the change. I, I need to turn around and go a different direction. Father, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Online, if that's you, just make that decision today. Say this with me this morning. Just say it out loud. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that Jesus came into the earth, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, I receive him as my Lord. And I make the choice to live in victory over sin in every area of my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me.